Hello and welcome to another episode of Ain't It Scary with Sean and Carrie, brought to you by Killer Podcasts and Evergreen Podcasts Network. I'm the titular Sean. And I'm the very titular Carrie. It's the show that takes you inside the unbelievable, the unexplainable, the macabre, and the bizarre and tries to find an answer. Hello, Caroline. Hi. Do you want to hear about some pirates today? I do. I always do. But especially now, because we recently watched the um, uh, quite charming Our Flag Means Death on uh, HBO. Mm-hmm. And um, I, I've, I've heard from, you know, the space adjacent to me that you um, have, have definitely stumbled hard into <laughs> Our Flag Means Death TikTok. Oh, yes. It is very, very big on TikTok right now. Uh Along with all the other social medias, I think it's got a really big following, and um, you know, there's a lot of people excited about it. Well, um, I am excited about pirates, and I'm excited about Blackbeard because I have been reading about him for the last week. Um, Blackbeard, Caroline, well, you know about Blackbeard. Yeah, he's played by Taika Waititi. He has a little <laughs> crop top, and he's very handsome. Uh huh. Less on the crop top, and probably not as handsome. I would imagine. Darn. Um, but we are going to talk about Blackbeard today. Probably, would you say the best known pirate of all time? Uh, nonfiction, yeah, probably. Yeah, a, a real life pirate. Yeah, I would think so. Well, um, how much do you actually know about his life and his death? Hmm. I know kind of some basics, and I I have previously watched another Blackbeard show. I think it was Blackbeard, uh, starring John Malkovich. I was probably one of the only people who watched that along with my dad, because he loves pirate stuff, too. He actually wrote a pirate book. Oh, when was this? What was that called? It was called Crossbones. <laughs> uh, John Malkovich plays Edward Teach, a.k.a. Blackbeard, ruling a group of outlaws and miscreant sailors on the Bahamian island of New Providence. I mean, he wasn't, like, in charge, really. Well, he was in the show. Look at his little throne. Oh, fun. Mm-hmm. Who played William Hornigold? Oh, God, I don't know. I barely remembered this show. <laughs> <laughs> um, well, we'll get to William Hornigold in good time. Some of you, uh, some of our uh, loyal listeners may be thinking, we, what, what is this? This isn't a, a, an ain't it scary story. Um, but it's a true crime story, isn't it? It is. And I think pirates are very adjacent with all of, of the scary things. They're, they're doing dastardly deeds on the high seas. They have skulls on their flags. Skull and crossbones. That's where that came from. And um, they're always killing people and pillaging and uh buried treasure is very spooky just in general mm-hmm. <laughs> uh, yeah uh, is, wait is buried treasure spooky it usually is there's usually spookiness with it treasure island is spooky muppet treasure island is spooky yeah you've got dead tom what, what was it old tom very old tom and dead, dead tom? tom yeah oh I love that movie. <laughs> but the black spot is very spooky. Um, that movie has been my primary research point for this episode. <laughs> no. um, Blackbeard. Real name, Edward Teach, uh, or Thatch, mm. uh, or Tack, mm-hmm. uh, or Drummond, huh. in a couple of sources. 
Um, but he is most often referred to as Edward Teach. Um, and in any case, pirates more often than not sailed under aliases to protect their families' honors. So uh, who knows? We probably don't know and we'll never know what Blackbeard's real name was. Well, wouldn't his alias have been Blackbeard? Well, that's just what people started calling him because of uh. his giant black, a uh, big bushy beard. <laughs> But he is called Edward Teach in A General History of the Robberies and Murders of the Most Tori- A General History of the Robberies and Murders of the Most Notorious Pirates. Easy by, for you to say. Uh, apparently not. By Captain Charles Johnson, 1724. Um, this certainly exaggerated secondhand work is the central source for a lot of the Blackbeard biography. And the starting point for uh, all of the Blackbeard myth. And um, it also that's also true of many other pirates, including Black Bart and Calico Jack and Mary Reed and Steed Bonnet, uh, also portrayed, of course, famously on Our Flag Means Death. He's sweet. The book more or less formed the modern conception of pirates in popular culture, because Robert Louis Stevenson specifically cited this book as a central influence on Treasure Island, and even named the character Israel Hands in Treasure Island after one of Blackbeard's crew that he saw listed in the book. We know Izzy Hands. Uh, Yeah, we sure do. And uh, of course, uh, he'll come into play in this story as well. Mm Mm-hmm. The author, by the way, Captain Charles Johnson, appears nowhere else in history and is almost certainly a pen name. Um, Daniel Defoe has been raised as a possible um, writer of this, you know, the author of Robinson Crusoe, uh, and in particular, the author's uh, tendency to lose track of the narrative and go off on little moral tangents is yeah. uh, is is a Daniel Defoeism that people have pointed to. Did he read the uh, did he write the Bible too? <laughs> uh though listen, the Bible is a book of morality and poetry and and parables and stuff. According to Captain Johnson, uh Teach Woods was born, well he probably was born around 1680, and according to Johnson, he was born in Bristol, uh in England. He does seem to have been able to write or uh, at least read And that's led some to believe he grew up uh, somewhat well-off or even wealthy. Hmm. And uh, he possibly ended up in Jamaica on a merchant ship or a slave ship uh, before the outbreak of Queen Anne's War. Uh, By the way, at this time, unfortunately, more or less all European merchant ships going to the Caribbean were slave ships Mm -hmm. uh, involved in that very famous triangle trade. So uh, he might have uh, gone down there on one of those ships and then gotten wrapped up in Queen Anne's War. Um, this was really just the North American theater of the Sp- war for Spanish succession. So, so there's a bunch of shit going on in Europe that leads to an outbreak uh, of a, an early French and Indian War, really, uh, all down the American coast. And uh, there was a lot of money to be made for anyone who wanted to sail as a privateer um, that is, take a letter of mark from the King of England and go out with a license to legally plunder Spanish ships. Hmm. And there was a lot of this going on, especially in the Southern American coast and uh, down, of course, in the Caribbean, where those very, very rich colonies had sprung up on Jamaica and Antigua and Hispaniola. Captain Johnson gives no detail of Teach's service in the Queen Anne's War, except to note that he, quote, 
had often distinguished himself for his uncommon boldness and personal courage. Hmm. Um, he doesn't give any citation for that, but uh, it does line up with Teach's later behavior. Uh, by 713, the war was wrapping up and a treaty was underway in Europe, and that meant the letters of Mark expiring and a lot of sailors roaming around the Atlantic Ocean armed to the teeth with a, their free pass to rob legally being revoked overnight. Yeah, I couldn't imagine that they weren't thrilled about that. Uh, and not only that, you know, there's just not much incentive to stop. So is this the real, like, big time in, in piracy? I thought it, it had been going on. Uh, piracy had been a thing kind of ever since the age of exploration had really gotten going. And ever since these colonies and trade routes had been established uh, over the Atlantic Ocean. Um, so throughout the 15 and 1600s, it was happening. But there was also the great powers fighting each other every couple of decades. And so during those wars, it was actually useful to have some pirates from your home country floating out there in the ocean so that at times like these, you would have a bunch of privateers to go ruin the other guy's shipping. Mm -hmm. um, and in the meantime, you just had to deal with them robbing your shipping a little bit, um, which you would kind of, you know, not give them a pass on, but it wasn't the king's top priority most of the time. And the problem here was that this became kind of an explosion of piracy because... They were so used to all the pillaging, and now you're telling them they can't, but this is their life now. Exactly. And um, so it was probably in 1716 that Blackbeard moved to Nassau, New Providence, Bahamas. And it's there that he fell into the orbit of uh, the aforementioned Captain Benjamin Hornigold. And Hornigold's an interesting guy, so I'll back up a little bit here. Um, he's another privateer who had turned to piracy in the immediate aftermath of Queen Anne's War, back in, like, 13. Um, he was a fiercely patriotic Englishman, and so after the war was over and his letter of mark expired, he and his crew just took three boats anyway and continued raiding Spanish plantations along the colonial coastlines. Hmm. Um, they then, that kind of launched them on a year-long reign of criminal terror across the Caribbean, supposedly capturing 60,000 pounds worth of loot, but almost always from Spanish ships and properties. Uh, he did capture an English ship, the sloop Mary, big enough for 140 men and six cannons. And in November 1715, Mary and another sloop he actually had captured from the Spanish sailed into the city of Nassau, where Hornigold invited all pirates in the area to gather and declared that, quote, all pirates were under his protection. What's the difference between a sloop and a ship? Uh, so a sloop is a, sh a smaller sailing ship big enough for, like, when it's used in these stories, it means a ship that holds, like, 6 to 12 guns. Being cannons. Yes, and yes. when they say ships, they mean bigger ships that can hold, <laughs> um, you know, uh, 20 to 40 guns. Gotcha. And then you get up to, like, the British man-of-wars and stuff, and they will have, uh, you know, a hundred guns. Mm -hmm. um, and that's the kind of force that pirates can never really stand up to, and they always have to run. Um, but Nassau was an interesting spot, because it had this super wide and super shallow harbor. Big enough for hundreds of ships to moor there, but way too shallow for a British warship, for example, to get anywhere near it. Mm-hmm. 
uh, and so it kind of would make a perfect pirate hideaway, and it had been used as a pirate base in the past, but then the British had kind of um, done their best to shore up control over the Bahamas and sent more colonists there, but those colonists had been fleeing lately um, after a few attacks by the French and the Spanish. And so Hornigold had basically a half-abandoned city that he sailed into with these two sloops and um, made it a pirate enclave. Apparently, once when the deputy governor of the Bahamas arrested a buddy of Hornigold's for some piracy that he had totally done, (laughs) uh, Hornigold sailed out and intercepted the ship that was carrying the imprisoned pirate and freed him uh, and then returned to threaten the deputy governor with a pistol uh, for daring to lay a hand on one of his men. Ballsy. Yeah, very ballsy. He's a cool, he's a cool guy. Uh, And so needless to say, Nassau soon became a who's who of all the, you know, kind of pirates you know from that golden era of piracy. Um, All the guys who are in Captain Charles Johnson's book. And uh, Hornigold called these guys his flying gang. (laughs) All right, we'll workshop it. Yeah, not the best. (laughs) Um, But it was pretty successful, a pretty successful gang and a pretty big one. Um, before long, the governor of the Bahamas would estimate that pirates outnumbered honest citizens in Nassau two to one, and more colonists were fleeing by the day. Uh, it was into this world of grimy opportunity, Caroline, that Blackbeard stepped into, and he quickly rose through the ranks of the Hornigold crew. The Flying Gang. The Flying Gang, yes. Um, and so in late 1716, Hornigold put Teach or Thatch, in charge of a sloop of his own. And in early 1717, they set out in their two ships from the Bahamas for the U.S. mainland. Uh, The crews started out swimmingly. They, you know, uh, cruised over to Havana and captured a boat with 120 barrels of flour on it. Then they uh, cruised over to Bermuda and stopped a sloop, and they got 100 barrels of wine there. (laughs) Put them together. You got a stew going. You got a stew going, baby. A few days later, uh, near the U.S. coast, they stopped a vessel that was sailing from Madeira, Spain, to Charlestown, and that had even more wine on it. Hmm. That's Um, a lot of wine. Yeah. And it's right around this time that we have a a Captain Matthew Munthy, who was an anti-pirate agent out of North Carolina, making the first historical reference to Captain Thatch. Uh, commanding at that time a boat with six guns and about 70 men. Mm -hmm. Um, It does sound like the crew had developed a taste for all that Madeira wine they had just stolen, (laughs) and the expedition kind of turned into a roving, larcenous booze cruise. That sounds kind of fun. Just roll up on ships, smash them up, take uh, take their liquor and and bail. Um, and Hornigold and Teach decided to head back to Nassau to rest a bit before all this got too much more out of hand. And that is how Hornigold and Teach came to know Steed Bonnet. Our baby. Our baby. (laughs) Um, played by the great Reese Darby on that show. I'm so glad he's getting a moment. I've been seeing a lot of, like, thirst videos for him. Oh, these kids should go back and uh, discover Flight of the Conchords. Oh, they are. Trust me, they are. There's a lot of fan cams editing together any appearance he's made in, in these things. Um, and it's just so funny because he's your typical, he's a very typical, like, middle-aged kind of 
New Zealand, you know, just, oh, hello, like, you know, like. And a, goof, a goofy guy. Uh, yeah. So it's very funny to see him become a sex symbol. And I, I, it Couldn't is, happen to a nicer guy. It is good casting because Steve Bonnet is definitely a goofy guy. Mm-hmm. Um, Steve Bonnet was born in Barbados in 1688 to a fairly wealthy family, and he inherited a fairly wealthy estate. He was married with three children, but not happily. Mm-hmm. And uh, Captain Johnson writes that Steed was driven to piracy by the, quote, discomforts he found in a married state. Hmm. Despite his total lack of sailing experience, he had decided in spring 1717 that he really needed to become a pirate, and he commissioned a local shipyard to build him a 10-gun sloop, which he named the Revenge. It's kind of fun being rich because then you could just kind of make these childhood whims come true. Well, yeah. And uh, as you can probably guess, this was really, um, it was unusual to build yourself a pirate ship. Usually pirates were like desperate poor people who seized their boats from um, a a captain or, you know, overthrew their slave masters or. um, Wasn't usually a customized thing. Yeah. Um, It was also unusual to pay your crew a wage, which Bonnet immediately set about doing, Um, and also pretty rare for a pirate captain to rely completely on his quartermaster and first mate for all of the actual sailing and piracy experience, which Steed Bonnet was doing. He's just going along for the ride, man. Um, And he was doing it relatively successfully. He set off for the American coastline, plundering four vessels in the Chesapeake Bay. Uh, One was from his home island, and so he burned it to make sure word wouldn't get back about his crimes. Mm. He then plundered two more ships off of New York, and then two more in the Carolinas. And then it was time for the next phase in Steed Bonnet's life of adventure, and so he headed for the now-famous Pirate Haven at Nassau. Is Nassau kind of like a Tortuga Yes. In the Pirates of the Caribbean movies. Very much so, yeah. Uh, it, it it has been called a pirate republic uh, <laughs> during this very brief period where, um, yeah, lo- the, the law really didn't dare to uh, uh, come over there, the colonial authorities. And so the pirates just ran the place with impunity. Wow. On the way to Nassau, Steed Bonnet ran smack dab into a Spanish man of war. Uh, His crew fought, and they managed to escape, but the revenge was badly damaged. Half the crew was killed or incapacitated, and Bonnet himself was badly injured. And it's in this condition that he limped into port at Nassau and met Blackbeard for the first time. (laughs) Are you smiling because these events are sort of kind of fictionalized in that show? Yeah, I'm just thinking about them. (laughs) Uh, Carrie ships Blackbeard and Steed Bonnet hard. You'd be psychotic not to. But uh, here be the spoilers, folks. So if you haven't seen the show, you know, we might make a reference here or there. Well, this is just history, though. And the show does deviate from, from that history. Yeah. Steed Bonnet's first order of business after finding a doctor was strapping two more guns to his already sloop strapped full of guns. Well, well he, he didn't have half of his crew anymore. So right. You got to make he up. He had the space. Yes, exactly. He got the real estate. Um, and the real Steed Bonnet didn't have like a library on his um, <laughs> ship. So so he had room. 
Uh, although he was called bookish by like almost everyone who described him. Because he had a book. <laughs> uh, well, yeah, be, being able to read was, was pretty rare in this, mm-hmm. this crowd. Um, well, in town, Bonnet met Hornigold and Blackbeard. Uh, disabled by his wounds at the time, Bonnet offered Blackbeard temporary command of his pirate ship. Uh, and then Bonnet would stay aboard to learn from the more experienced pirate captain. It's interesting that, and maybe we're going to go back, but it seems like there's more known about Bonnet than there is about Blackbeard's sort of rise to power. Well, yeah, because um, really all we know about Blackbeard is his crime spree mm-hmm. um, from the period where his crimes became very public. It's sort of like one of those bank robbers, right? Right. Except the records were much worse back then, so we don't we don't have any clues really about his upbringing we just know um that he was like all these guys likely a privateer and that then he started showing up doing these basically heists at sea so um and and of course you know we don't there's no records of what happens to him after all this because there's no blackbeard after all this Mm -hmm. he burned uh he burned hot and he burned bright and he burned out fast carrie (laughs) Now, meanwhile, Hornigold's reluctance to, uh, to attack his old allies in the British Empire was starting to catch up to him in terms of his relationships with the other pirates. Uh, to put it more bluntly, his men were just getting sick of watching fat British targets sail by um, while they couldn't do anything about it. They had to wait and hope that a Spanish galleon or whatever would come by and they can get some of that sweet, sweet wine. Exactly. Um, pirate crews were actually pretty democratic or like super democratic and they would choose their leader, their captain, usually by a vote. And that captain could be, um, you know, recalled or, or, uh, stripped of his command by a vote as well. And, uh, at some point in late 1717, Hornigold was demoted by his crew. Awkward. And later that year, maybe early the next year, he would sigh leave Nassau, and accept King George's pardon. Now, what was King George's pardon? It was offered in 1717 as, quote, a proclamation for suppressing of pirates. Hmm. Um, You see, at this point, piracy had become such a problem in the West Indies, and especially around the very, very lucrative British colony of Jamaica, that merchants had been collectively petitioning the king for some time now to do something about it. And um, so this act, also called the Act of Grace, Ah. the Act of Grace, (laughs) by the king especially, um, offered a one-year period where any pirate who came forward and swore to turn face would be forgiven. Mm -hmm. It then offered uh, the bounties that would be placed on those not taking this pardon, and the rewards for crews helping to capture their captains to show the stick that was waiting just behind that initial carrot. Mm. Uh, Edward Teach and Steed Bonnet were not taking that pardon, not yet anyway, and they set out again in September 1717. So when, when Hornigold was demoted, who replaced him? Was it Blackbeard or was it just some other guy? Um, I think his crew kind of split up, more or less, but but a lot of them went with Blackbeard mm-hmm. and ended up under... Certainly, at this point, Blackbeard was commanding his own ship um, and Steed Bonnet's ship, as a matter of fact. 
the student has become the master. Very much so. So I don't know that Blackbeard is... I don't see him ruling over this little pirate city. I think Hornigold did a little more of that. Um, but I do think a lot of Hornigold's men went with Blackbeard at this point. Mm-hmm. So they took to the seas in September 1717. And on September 29th, we know that the Revenge plundered the Betty, a ship out of Virginia, and took only her barrels of Madeira wine <laughs> and scuttled the Betty along with the rest of her cargo. Um, so maybe it's actually Blackbeard and not his unruly crew uh, who has a taste for the seaborne frat party. I think they're all having a good time. Yeah, but this is, I think, mostly a different crew. He's got a lot of bonnets men now. <laughs> I don't think they're picky. I think if they get a bunch of free wine and a, a free cruise, why not? Um, another merchant ship was taken, this time with some more valuable, non-drinkable cargo on October 12th. Uh, the captain of this ship, a Captain Cod, described Steed Bonnet as, quote, walking the deck in his nightshirt, still unwell from his wounds and very much not in command of the ship. Um, on this trip, the Revenge plundered a total of 11 ships from the southern and mid-Atlantic ports of the U.S. and headed back south in November after getting everyone buzzing about Blackbeard. Who is this guy? <laughs> really? And get all the gossip rags going. <laughs> um, and he had, and people were starting to uh, refer to him that way, too. And they were actual rags back at this point. <laughs> <laughs> um, papyrus, Carrie, papyrus. Papyrus. Not really. <laughs> Teach and Bonnet continued pirating along their return to the Caribbean, and on November 17th, a 200-ton French slave ship, La Concorde, was attacked by Revenge and Teach's eight-gun sloop. Did I mention um, Revenge was the name of Steed Bonnet's I ship? don't know. I, I just know that so intrinsically now. So, yes, Steed Bonnet's ship was named... Revenge. The Revenge. Um, so La Concorde was attacked by Revenge and by Teach's eight-gun sloop, whose name we don't know, and which we don't care about because Teach is about to get an upgrade. Um, Concorde used to be the British merchantman Concord, but had been captured by a French squadron in 1711 and then sold into private use. Add some accents, it'll be very French. That's right, and the Concorde's crew... Small crew, it was mostly full of cargo, readied for a brave defense. But each pirate ship launched a single salvo of cannon and musket fire, killing several of the crew, and the rest surrendered. Teach uh, towed the ship to a shady little place to refit La Concorde for his own purposes. The French crew were actually set loose with his eight-gun sloop, the one whose name we don't care about. Mm-hmm. It was now renamed by its new crew, Mauvais Recontre, the Bad Encounter. Well, it was a bad encounter for them, but this was a slave ship? It was, yes. What happened to the slaves? Uh, some of them may have been recruited into Blackbeard's crew, and likely were. Um, this was pretty common. Uh, taking slave ships in the Caribbean was pretty common, period. Mm-hmm. And it was pretty common practice to offer the guys a chance to join your crew if they wanted um, we know that not all of these guys joined Blackbeard's crew because a bunch of them were left marooned on the beaches here and were later picked up by the crew of the Mauvais Reconte in what would become their own bad encounter. Hmm. So they were uh, brought right back to um, 
I guess probably to Saint-Domingue, which is now Haiti. Mm -hmm. Uh, Now, La Concorde had been hollowed out uh, of all its defenses, basically, and all comforts and everything else to make room for more stacked human cargo in its belly. That is the way of a slave ship. Blackbeard immediately stuffed her full of 40 guns and rechristened her Queen Anne's Revenge, which was probably a poke in the eye to old King George I. Yeah, so why, why did he call it that? I was, hoping, I was hoping you could tell me. I don't know enough about uh, um, British or European royal politics. Oh, um, Anne was his second cousin, and um, he was her closest living Protestant relative, so he got the kingship. George I. Mm-hmm. Okay, and here's, here's Queen Anne's revenge. Not being able to, after not being able to have kids? After being dead? I don't, I don't know. I don't know. I don't know what he was going for. Um, By this time, he had likely already adopted his famous flag, which he would have hoisted over the newly christened Queen Anne's Revenge, a skeleton stabbing a heart with a spear. Blackbeard was now ready to become an ascendant force in the world of Caribbean piracy. He would be dead within a year. Wow, really? Yeah. So all of all of like his his most crazy stuff happened in the span of a year. Yes, that's nuts. He will. Uh, he is. This is one week after a year before his death. He's okay. he's fifty one weeks away from dying. Okay. For now, Blackbeard continued to plunder around the Caribbean with impunity but with surprisingly little violence after a crew actually surrendered. Um, The pirates would raise their flag, and if that wasn't enough to immediately force a surrender, they'd fire a round or two from the cannons and the muskets on the decks. If it did come to ugly boarding actions, which it still often did, Mm -hmm. of course, Captain Johnson says that Blackbeard cut an imposing figure. He dressed in dark clothes with a dark hat, but often with a brightly colored silk or velvet coat. Um, He would stick slow matches, which are like wicks, long wicks, basically, in his hat and braid it into his beard Mm -hmm. um, to literally wreathe his head in smoke and give him kind of a demonic appearance as he charged into battle with three pistols and multiple swords and knives strapped all over his body. And being a suspicious or superstitious sort, but also suspicious, uh, I'm sure the people encountering this smoking bearded beast were very freaked out even just by the sight of them carry their criminals criminals are cowardly and superstitious lot as (laughs) as batman knows of course i should have known i'm saying blackbeard is sort of batman um except that he's a criminal and that he kills people occasionally yeah but in the way i mean he wears all black so you got me there (laughs) in that case i'm batman um, now, obviously, <laughs> obviously, those gun salvos uh, across the decks occasionally killed people, and obviously, during boarding actions, uh, people definitely got killed. Mm-hmm. Um, but once he had people in captivity, there's no record of Blackbeard ever killing them. He would maroon them on a beach, 
to potentially die of thirst and starvation over a few days or weeks. Mm-hmm. But he wouldn't ever kill them. Interesting. Yeah. Uh, for example, on in late November 1717, the crew of the Great Allen was forced to move closer to shore, where they were disembarked, their cargo was stolen, and then they watched as their ship was burned and sunk. Mm. Blackbeard was feeling more forgiving, I guess, on December 5th, when the crew of the Margaret were taken prisoner for eight hours while the pirates unloaded all of their cargo, and then the captain was returned unharmed to the ship and everyone was allowed to leave. That's not bad. Not bad at all. Teach questioned the captain, Bostock, about the movement of local ships and implied that his next move would be to head to Hispaniola to await the Spanish Armada. The men of the Spanish men of war were supposed to be going down with pay for the troops, and Blackbeard uh, was allegedly thinking about going to plunder them. It's a bold move, Blackbeard. Um, Bostock described him as a tall, spare man with a very black beard that he wore very long. Mm-hmm. Well, you have to keep it long to keep the wicks out of your face. Um, that's very correct. Um. So by now, Blackbeard was becoming one of the most feared pirate captains in the Caribbean. And this was over just the course of a few short months. But now he had this giant warship at his command, along with a couple of sloops. And um, they could roll around terrorizing the Caribbean at will. It was his next move, though, that would be the most audacious of his career. As Blackbeard set his sights on Charlestown. And it's that little adventure that we'll get into after the break. From DNA testing to the Dixie Mafia, Crime Capsule brings you new stories of true crime in American history. I'm your host, Benjamin Morris. Join us for exclusive interviews with authors from Arcadia Publishing, writing the hottest books on the most chilling stories of our country's past. You can find us wherever you get your favorite podcasts or on evergreenpodcasts.com. Crime Capsule. History so interesting, it's criminal. Welcome back. Caroline, what do you think about Blackbeard so far, Mr. Edward Teach? Well, he seems like a very interesting dude. A very interesting dude. <laughs> a real uh, stringer bell of the seas, if you will. I love the sense that I get of the times when I'm reading about this. It's like um, very similar to the bank robbery craze of the 30s. Mm-hmm. Or I don't know, what are some other crimes that are very much of their time and place? Oh, the um, sort of stagecoach robberies that that predated those in the 1800s. Yeah. And I think with the bank robberies, at least, there was this kind of titillation from the public of like, ooh, who are these guys? Well, with like the James Gang and the stagecoach robberies, too, very much so, yeah. Yeah. So there's definitely a kind of badass aura around these people. And there very much was around pirates as well, even at the time as... um, their exploits were coming out in the local presses. Mm-hmm. Of course, the local presses weren't as developed a hundred years before the James gang would be roaming around. So Blackbeard and his crew with their giant new ship continued farting around the Caribbean <laughs> in late 1717 and early 1718 
until, in March of 1718, one of the ships started taking on water. They had to stop to patch the leak. But Blackbeard made lemonade out of lemons when he spotted the Jamaican logwood-cutting sloop Adventure coming into the channel where they were docked. They said to Captain David Harriet, Hey, you know it would be a real adventure? Joining our pirate fleet and not being killed or marooned by us. <laughs> okay, nice segue. And so it was. Loyal Teach Lieutenant Israel Hands was sent over to take command of the adventure, and the little fleet's next stop was the Bay of Honduras, where they detained and captured four more sloops and another bigger ship. Wow taking on all the crew members who wanted to join them and leaving the rest marooned on a beach somewhere, as was their way. Um, it sounds like they picked up another two sloops on the way as they looted and pillaged around Grand Caymans, Bahamas, and Cuba. So that would bring the grand total up to two warships and I believe seven, nine sloops. They have a fleet. They have a fleet. Wow. Everyone at this point called Edward Teach Blackbeard. And now Blackbeard was styling himself Commodore. And the Commodore set his sights on Charlestown, South Carolina in May 1718. Now with eight sloops, there we go, and two small warships at his command, Commodore Blackbeard entered the harbor, which didn't have a guard boat. What? It was too small. Oh, God. And uh, first captured the pilot boat, which was, this is how small this harbor was. The pilot boat would ferry boat pilots from the shore out to their vessels because there were no, like, docks. <laughs> um, so Blackbeard captured the pilot boat and then halted all traffic into and out of the city. Full stop. And then you could just kind of, um, he could pick off basically boat by boat That's in the harbor. No one's coming because they got the pilot boat. Over the next five or six days, a total of nine vessels were stopped as they were trying to come into the harbor. Teach's fleet just anchored out on the shoals where they knew boats would have to slow down to get through safely, and they would stop them, loot them, and capture the ships and everyone aboard. One of these boats, the Crowley, was full of prominent Charlestown citizens who were immediately, of course, taken captive. Hostage? Yeah. And what do you think Blackbeard wants for all these juicy hostages? Hmm. I'm not going to say money because I feel like that would be a trick. I'm not going to say wine because I feel like they have enough of that. <laughs> like a really bitchin' ship? Um, he actually wanted a chest of medical supplies for his crew. Interesting. And if he didn't get it, he was going to burn all of the ships and murder all of the hostages. I mean, get him his Band-Aids, folks. <laughs> that doesn't seem like a big ask. Um, so they sent one hostage. They have the guy's name as Mr. Marks. And he was dispatched with two nameless pirates to go and get the drugs from the governor with a two-day time limit. Um, two days passed, nothing. On the third day, a message finally came back from Marks that, oh, sorry, my boat capsized and we got delayed. Mm -hmm. And so Blackbeard said, all right, you've got two more days. A generous man. And another three days went by. Oh, dear. The second boat capsized? Um, nope, nope. This time they had made it to shore. Um, so Blackbeard was pissed at this point. Yeah. 
He called a meeting of the sailors, because everything was done democratically on these pirate ships, and they decided to move the fleet and the captured ships into the harbor, causing full-on panic in the city. Yeah. And now pirates were just walking through their streets and basically, you know, tacitly threatening to kill everyone and burn this city if they didn't get what they wanted. Now, why was the governor or whoever dragging their feet? I mean, all he wants is medical supplies. Well, this is when Marx finally came back to explain that once he had arrived, the drugs were very quickly arranged as the governor understood the seriousness of the situation. But then once they got the chest together, the two pirates were nowhere to be found, and then they had to be wrangled up again. Uh-huh. Uh, and it turned out they had found some buddies in town and had just been drinking in a hole somewhere, like, the whole time. Never send a pirate to do a job. And so they were very drunk when they were actually found. And Blackbeard's like, okay, so they're my, that's my crew, that's my bad. That's my bad. That's on us. <laughs> that's on us. I, I showed them wine. <laughs> Too much of it, you would argue. Um, all was forgiven, and the prisoners were allowed to leave, albeit missing a few of their valuables and some of the very nicest clothes. And um, Blackbeard came away with a chest full of medicine that um, Charles Johnson has being worth um, 400 lira, which now would be, I don't know, something on the order of fifty or $60,000. That's a lot of medicine. Yeah, it is. Good. Well, that's what that's what they that's needed. That's all they wanted. I that's mean, you know, got. it seems reasonable. Well, they also took like a bunch of gold and valuables from these ships before they let them leave. Obviously. Obviously They're pirates. They that. You're pirates. <laughs> um, now, well at Charlestown, Blackbeard learned that newly appointed governor of the Bahamas, Woods Rogers, had left England with several men of war to purge the West Indies of pirates. Woods Rogers. It sounds like a member of the RNC. Yeah, W-O-O-D-E-S. Ugh, even worse. Woods Rogers. <laughs> Rogers would sail into Nassau later that year, offering the king's pardon to any pirate-come-latelys and, <laughs> and judiciously hunting down those who still wouldn't lay down arms. Um, Blackbeard decided at this point that ever returning to his adopted home would be a very bad idea. Probably. The following events are muddy, and they represent either a violent criminal way out of depth and at the end of his rope, or a crafty opportunist getting ready for the next act of his career. Blackbeard's fleet uh, put in at Beaufort Inlet off the coast of North Carolina to careen their ships and scrape the hulls. Careening the ships is where you would purposely run partly aground to tilt the ship. Mm-hmm. so that you could get at the underside and scrape the barnacles and shit off. Because before they um, were encasing the bottoms of these ships in bronze, all the growth that you could get on the bottom of the ship would, would actually damage the timbers once it got to a certain weight. Hmm. Okay. So you had to do this every now and then. So they start careening the ships, and in the process, Queen Anne's Revenge and another sloop were badly damaged. Um, the Revenge's mainmast, not Steed Bonnet's Revenge, Queen Anne's Revenge. And where's he during all this? He's still hanging out? Yeah, the Revenge is still in Blackbeard's fleet, and Steed Bonnet is not in command of it, I don't think, most of the time. I think he's just hanging out off and on Queen Anne's Revenge. He's like a CEO. He's never in the office. He's he's not really, you, no one's ever really talked to him, but he's in charge, question mark. I actually get the impression that Steed Bonnet at some point started going, hey, I'd like 
command of my ship again and blackbeard was like i don't think so i don't think that's a good idea and his crew was like well we don't think that's a good idea and uh steed bonnet was i think a little offended by this and at one point like sort of miserably remarked to a crew member around this time like oh if i could just be peacefully dropped off on one of these islands i would love to just leave this life of crime behind me Mm -hmm. he was pretty done anyway the fleet put in at Beaufort Inlet and started scraping off the bottoms, and Queen Anne's Revenge cracked her mainmast on a, a sandbar. Oh, boy. Along with many of the timbers of the ship. Uh, it kind of got stuck, and Blackbeard ordered hands to bring another one of the sloops over to try to help release her. And <laughs> that then That got stuck. And then that got stuck, and that got badly damaged. So these two ships, one of the sloops and Queen Anne's Revenge were deemed completely unsalvageable and left behind. Wow. Um, so he had his famous flagship for not very long, but he did manage to raise hell while he had it. Um, now, most historians seem to agree that Blackbeard had likely, at this point, already told Steed Bonnet of his plan to accept the king's pardon. Um, Spain was at the moment making moves to take back the territory that it had ceded at the end of the Queen Anne's War in 1713. And so the British, the French, the Austrians, and the Dutch had all formed an alliance and were making war noises again, and that meant letters of mark would be available for privateers, like a uh, Steed Bonnet, par exemple, to disrupt Spanish shipping. Mm-hmm. Um, Blackbeard also likely promised Bonnet the return of the revenge, which, again, I don't think he had been in serious command of since September 1717. Now, crimes committed after January 5th, like the siege of Charlestown, which was very public, uh, were not included in the pardon. So why didn't Blackbeard just want to become a privateer again? Why was he trying to go for this pardon that wasn't going to work out anyway? Well, you needed the pardon first. Being a privateer is a legal activity. So you had to get the act of grace, and then, and then you would be able to become a privateer. Yes. So Steed Bonnet's plan at this point, for example, is to, well, you'll see, but he wants to get a letter of mark and go off and privateer. Mm-hmm. So crimes committed after January 5th, no good in the act of grace. But a bribe to the right open-minded public official could make that okay, right? and Blackbeard suspected that North Carolina's governor, Charles Eden, was somebody he could do business with. Um, So it seems that he sent, there's a couple versions of this story, but it seems like he sent Steed Bonnet ahead to get his pardon first. (laughs) No, you go ahead. Yeah, you know what? I'll stay with the guys. I'll just make sure the guys are settled back here. I'll stay with the ships. You And he sent Bonnet off not in one of the sloops, but in a little boat uh, off on his own to uh, get his pardon. You just go ahead. I'll be I'll be right behind you. Bonnet traveled to the capital of Bath to do this and to get a clearance from the governor to take the revenge to St. Thomas, which was a Danish Caribbean colony, to buy a letter of mark there and launch himself against the Spanish. Mm-hmm. When Bonnet returned to Topsail Island, where he had left the fleet, Blackbeard had beached about 25 men of the remaining crew stripped the revenge and the fleet's other remaining sloop of all their supplies and set off aboard David Harriet's adventure. The men Bonnet rescued, uh, two days, by the way, after Blackbeard had marooned them on that beach, 
would join his crew, which now included few, if any, of his original Barbadian pirates. Hmm. Bonnet swore revenge and headed for Ocracoke Island, where he heard Teach had been headed. And he named his ship Revenge 2. Again. (laughs) Jaws Um, the Revenge. um, No, he would never see Blackbeard again. And he would never get his letter of Mark either. He now, for some reason, launched back into a life of piracy. Although he changed his name to Captain Thomas and changed Revenge's name to Royal James to hopefully preserve his pardon if nobody looked too hard. Captain Thomas and the Royal James captured a few boats and robbed a few more before settling in the Cape Fear River to wait out the August hurricane season. They were captured in late September, and Bonnet was hanged on December 10th, 1718. Oh, dear. Now, now during that trial, Bonnet's boatswain would say that the ship was run ashore and lost, which Thatch caused to be done. And it's unclear whether that means intentionally or if he's just blaming him for a stupid mistake. But it has been suggested that Blackbeard purposely scuttled Queen Anne's revenge and that other sloop all the way back then, shrinking his fleet to avoid undue attention, because ships now spotted them a mile away and never left port, and shrinking his crew to increase his share of the spoils of any future piracy. He's a crafty one. He is a crafty one, and he's a survivor. Which is why in June 1718, Blackbeard did in fact receive his pardon from Governor Eden, along with the remaining crew that he had, which I think was about 20 or 25 guys. Okay, so we're all set. Everything's great. Blackbeard settled in Bath, where he may have married Mary Ormond, the daughter of a local plantation owner. Oh, so that's that's a... Quite a well-to-do wife. I mean, she probably had a dowry and all that. Uh, Charles Johnson says this was his 14th marriage. Oh. And that the girl was 16 years old. Hmm. Um, Charles Johnson, there's no, here's the thing. There's no citation for this marriage anywhere that I could find. Although I did see the name Mary Ormond listed somewhere as Blackbeard's wife. And that's not in Charles Johnson's book. So I, I don't know where all this comes from other than speculation. It's definitely speculation or uh, vicious rumor when Charles Johnson says, It was his custom to invite five or six of his brutal companions to come ashore, and he would force her to prostitute herself to them all, one after another, before his face. He cucked himself? Uh, yeah, or gang-raped his wife, however you choose to see it. Well, the the before his face part was was what I was thinking. Uh, So you think that that's just vicious rumor on Johnson's part. I just don't know who told that story. Yeah. Seems like something a pirate would do. Um, It's also been suggested in some accounts that she was given as a gift to Blackbeard's crew to win back their good graces before they set back out on a life of piracy. But I don't think they were ever really on the outs, and I don't think they ever really stopped pirating for very long at all. Mm-hmm. Meanwhile, though, uh, Governor Eden was, in fact, a man Teach could work with. And before long, Blackbeard was given legal title to the adventure, under the pretense that it had been liberated from Spanish belligerents as a privateer, instead of taken from an English merchant uh, as a pirate. So, I mean, he's got his pardon, he's got his ship, he's all legal and on the up and up. 
Uh, yeah, that's right. Except that he returned to piracy almost immediately once he got adventure back. And by August, the governor of Pennsylvania had issued a warrant for his arrest. Why not just become a privateer at that point if you have the pardon and that was the hard part to get? Well, because as long as he can stay ahead of the, uh, of the British authorities, colonial authorities don't really matter. Yeah, but that requires staying ahead of them. <laughs> Meanwhile, well, for the time, stuff was really cool for Teach in North Carolina, which was where he was laying his head. In September, after Teach captured two French ships headed for the Caribbean and scuttled one of them, he brought the other one back and pretty boldly just parked it right outside of Ocracoke Island. Then he went right up to Governor Eden and said, Hey, I just totally found this (laughs) ship abandoned at sea. Isn't that weird? Yeah, it's super weird. Um, Eden had to call uh, proceedings, of course, but he carefully chose the admiralty judge who was presiding over those proceedings. The admiralty judge got 20 barrels of sugar from the hold. Governor Eden got 60 barrels, and the pirates got to keep everything else. The French ship was sunk out to sea to avoid any lingering investigations or questions after the fact. So there's some corrupt governance going on in North Carolina. Clearly. In the fall of 1718, Blackbeard was hanging out, chilling, chilling out Maxon in his new home on Ocracoke Island um, when he spotted the ship of English pirate Charles Vane passing. Uh, Vane was another of the famous pirates from Nassau who had escaped Providence Island after declining the king's pardon. And he told Blackbeard about how he had evaded capture by Benjamin Hornigold. Hornigold had now taken up his own letter of mark to hunt down his former comrades. It all comes full circle. It does. And this would make a really good movie. It probably is a movie. <laughs> um, now, Robert Deal and Calico Jack supposedly came by as well uh, to Ocracoke. And uh, with such notorious figures as Israel Hands, already among Blackbeard's crew, uh, word started spreading through the countryside of this impromptu party of the world's most fearsome pirates just off the coast of North Carolina. Uh, it reached the ears of Virginia Governor Alexander Spotswood, who was very nervous when he heard about the partying pirates. On July 10th, Spotswood had issued an order requiring former pirates in Virginia to announce themselves to authorities and to refrain from ever gathering in groups larger than three. So he already clearly knew that pirates could, uh, you know, prove themselves to be a problem. Yeah. Um, Now, Virginia was a crown colony, which is to say it was directly ruled by the British government. And Spotswood doubted the despised proprietary colony of North Carolina, which was run by businessmen sent by England to go and uh, run a profitable colony, would be able to dislodge the pirates. Well, they didn't seem to want to. Uh, That is... They were working with them. He did certainly suspect Governor Eden of either incompetence or outright corruption, and I think we see which one it was. Mm -hmm. I think it was a little of both, actually. Uh, Yeah, a little here, a little there. So, Spotswood decided to take it upon himself to hunt down Blackbeard. And he he ran into a little bit of luck when he heard that William Howard, the former quartermaster of Queen Anne's Revenge, had settled in Virginia. So Spotswood had him and two slaves arrested for piracy. Um, Now, the governor actually had no authority to try pirates. They were supposed to be sent to England. Mm -hmm. 
But Spotswood claimed under a statute of William III, and again, I don't know how royal politics and government in this period works, but William III was a, was a prince. So under one of his statutes, uh, the governor could try pirates without a jury in times of crisis. Well, I say it's a crisis, so... Well, he did say that Teach's presence nearby <laughs> constituted a crisis. It's like, listen, we got Blackbeard here. I'm actually going through a personal crisis, so I think that counts. <laughs> you, you, well, you haven't heard of Blackbeard? That's your crisis. <laughs> uh, he was eventually forced by the crown to let Howard go, but not before getting information from him on exactly where Blackbeard had been hanging around. The operation was personally financed by Spotswood, who suspected he would end up getting rich off of Blackbeard's supposed massive treasure hoard. Um, he also wrote to the Lords of Trade back in England to smooth things over ahead of time because he was, in fact, invading another sovereign colony. Yeah. He also offered the men he was giving the job an additional reward for Blackbeard's capture on behalf of the colony, um, on top of what they'd already be getting from the crown. And so a small force under command of a Captain Brand headed overland to look for Teach, inform Governor Eden of their intentions, and suppress any local resistance to the idea of foreign troops marching into their midst. Um, because the colonies obviously did not get along uh, at this time. Well, they didn't think of themselves as the same country, certainly. Yeah, D separate states. Meanwhile, Lieutenant Robert Maynard was given two sloops called the Jane and the Ranger to approach from the sea, stopping all traffic into the harbor on the way to make sure the pirates wouldn't be warned. He found them anchored on the inner side of the island on November 21st, but he was less familiar than they were with the shoals and reefs of the um, harbor, mm -hmm. and so he decided to wait till morning to make his attack. Israel Hands and about maybe as many as, many as 24 of Blackbeard's crew were ashore in Bath at the time, and so Blackbeard had less than half of his crew aboard with no lookout posted as he was entertaining guests that night. <laughs> well, that wouldn't uh, be very classy, would it? I think he liked. I think he liked entertaining guests. Yeah, but maybe I don't know. I don't know. Why don't you set a watch, Black Blackbeard? Yeah, I think he probably, in hindsight, <laughs> should have done that. Yes. <laughs> um, you know, the king only stay the king if he never sleep. Carrie, that's not a line from the wire, but it sounds like it. Maynard sloops entered the channel at daybreak, and Blackbeard's adventure fired a volley at Ranger, the smaller boat, as soon as they were in range of her guns. Um, Blackbeard cut the anchor line, and the crew got the sails up, and Adventure turned to point its guns toward the attacking sloops. The sloops then unfurled the Union Jack from their masts, and Adventure started to head for the island and aim for a nearby channel. Uh, meanwhile, though, they launched a volley from their big guns and killed or incapacitated as many as a third of Maynard's forces. Oh, boy. 20 guys on Jane and nine on Ranger, estimated, uh, were killed by just cannonballs ripping through the decks. Ugh, horrible. Uh, Ranger was totally disabled after this blast and out of the fight. And the situation's confused, but it seems like the crew of the Jane returned musket fire from the deck and may have cut a line on one of the adventure's sails. Because something caused the adventure to lose control and lurch suddenly and run onto a sandbar. Mm. 
As Jane closed in, Blackbeard looked up and saw her decks mostly empty and covered in blood from his previous broadside, and he triumphantly called for his crew to prepare the grappling hooks for an easy boarding action. They threw the grappling hooks at the Jane's deck along with several grenades, which were just bottles full of um, shot with a fuse stuck in the top. Boy. And uh, as the smoke cleared, Teach led the attack, his men firing at the small group that was clustered with Maynard at the stern of the boat. But Maynard had actually held most of his crew back below the decks, knowing that there would be a boarding action at some point, and now they burst out from the hold, shouting and firing, and Blackbeard and his crew were caught off guard. They get sloppy, they get too confident, and then they get sloppy. You forget where you put the wrench. Mm-hmm. Maynard and Teach fired their pistols at each other and then tossed them to the ground as they closed as they closed range. Both men drew their swords, and in their clash, Teach's cutlass broke right through Maynard's saber and snapped it in half. But meanwhile, the pirates were outnumbered and outclassed, and they were all, Blackbeard's crew that is, pushed to the bow of the ship, away from Teach, who now fought Maynard surrounded by colonial soldiers. We're told... (laughs) This is a movie scene. It is a movie scene. Uh, it's so dramatic, and we're to, and that's because what we have are probably exaggerated accounts, right? Sure. But ignore that for the time, Carrie. <laughs> we're told Maynard drew back to fire another of his pistols because these guys wouldn't. It, you, these flintlock pistols fire one shot and then they take forever to reload. So you would have at least two, and in Blackbeard's case, at least three, if not four, strapped to your hips, your chest, whatever. So Maynard drew back to fire another of his pistols, and Teach lunged forward to attack him but he was cut badly in the neck at this point by one of Maynard's watching men. Several more of Maynard's crew fell on the pirate and hacked him to death. Oh my God. Blackbeard's remaining crew quickly surrendered. Something like 10 men on each side had died in the melee. Maynard later said Teach had been shot five times and cut about 20 before he fell. His corpse was thrown into the inlet, but not before his head was sawed off and hung from the bowsprit of the Jane so that Maynard would be able to collect his reward. The head would later be hung from a pole at the entrance to the Chesapeake Bay, where it stood for several years, and that spot is still called Blackbeard's Point. (laughs) Yeah, the point is going into the bottom of his neck and coming out the top of his skull. The point is, don't be pirating. Well, yeah, that too. John F. Watson wrote in Annals of Philadelphia and Pennsylvania that the skull was, quote, then enlarged with silver, and I have seen those whose forefathers have spoken of their drinking punch from it with a silver label appurtenant to that bowl. (laughs) Enlarged. Does he mean like kind of dipped in silver? Yeah. Yeah. You know, enlarged a little bit. (laughs) Silver plated. Uh, Men always exaggerating. Now, indeed, a silver coated skull claimed to be Blackbeard's was shown as part of the exhibit under the black flag, Life Among the Pirates, in the 90s. First in the Mariner's Museum of Newport, Virginia. No, sorry. First in a maritime museum in new york city and then the mariners museum of newport virginia um after that exhibit closed the skull was forwarded to the peabody essex museum in salem massachusetts where it supposedly remains today Mm -hmm. Uh, although it's not on display since it's not part of any um 
particular exhibit. And honestly, I don't think they know that it's Blackbeard's skull. So it would be weird to just go. Well, they don't know for sure. And they know that it's supposed to be. Yeah. So I guess maybe they're just grappling with the possible tastelessness of going like, here's a silver plated skull. Might be Blackbeard. I don't know. I mean, there's other skulls in museums. It belongs in a museum. (laughs) At least this one's shiny. I found out about Blackbeard's skull being in this particular museum in a ghost tour. Mm Mm-hmm. Um, about Blackbeard's ghost possibly being around the area. Um, lots of legends about Blackbeard's ghost. Uh, some say that Blackbeard's corpse, headless, swum three times around his ship before it sank. <laughs> Gotta get those laps in, even in death. Well, he had, yeah, he had a new Apple Watch and he hadn't closed those rings for the day yet. <laughs> um, and that's important. Some call the mysterious light that you'll sometimes see from the deck of a ship out at sea Blackbeard's light and believe it to be his spirit guiding the way to either fabulous treasure or an untimely death. (laughs) 50-50. Blackbeard's loot was sold for the equivalent of about $350,000, which Spots would use to pay for the whole operation and put a little money back in his own pocket and put a little money in some other guy's pockets to make sure he wouldn't get in legal trouble for the very illegal operation he had just done. The reward for catching Teach amounted to about $64,000 in today money, which was divided amongst the crews. Um, Captain Maynard, sorry, Lieutenant Maynard, initially complained about this, but he didn't have much of a leg to stand on when it was pointed out that his crew had helped themselves to some of Blackbeard's loot on the day. Couple grand worth. Um, 16 more of Blackbeard's crew were rounded up in Bath, the ones who had escaped the battle. 14 were hanged, but it was found that one was only aboard the ship that day as a drinking buddy, the aforementioned (laughs) guest who was being entertained, and he wasn't a pirate at all. He didn't even want to be in that fight. And the last was Israel Hands, who was provably not there that day and was allowed to walk free. And the drinking buddy uh, also walked free. Yes. That's fun. And I was like, oh, sorry, sorry, our bad. Uh, <laughs> you can go. You just enjoyed the wine. Yeah. Who wouldn't? They love that Madeira. Mm-hmm. Uh, Hans, by the way, would later die peacefully as the happily married owner of a small farm in the Carolina countryside. So he gets the ending <laughs> that you wanted for Blackbeard and or Steed Bonnet. Well, certainly, and, uh, and, and uh, Izzy is not the one that I would have pegged <laughs> as having the, the happy, calm, you know, farmer's life ending, for sure. Blackbeard was about 35 to 40 years old when he died. I always think, you always think of him as like an older guy. So it, it's... Well, because he's played by like Ian McShane and shit in movies. <laughs> and friggin' John Malkovich. Right, but the Taika Waititi is probably closer, honestly, to the right uh, mark. Although he should probably Even a have little a, older. He should have a bigger beard. A great big bushy, bushy beard. beard. Blackbeard would also um, wear his in little pigtails. Cute. And put colored ribbons in the ends of it sometimes. That's very adorable. And so that, along with the like brightly colored coat, is, is, is those are interesting layers on the um, fearsome appearance, too. Well, only only a real badass could get away with something like that. <laughs> well, and the not only flamboyancy, but the fear, you know, the, the flaming head stuff and all of the um, uh, reputation of his giant ship. Uh, really helped end a lot of those conflicts without bloodshed, which I think was Blackbeard's um, intention. Mm -hmm. He wasn't the most successful pirate of all time. Um, 
or even the most successful of his time and place. Uh, Black Bart Roberts had stolen five times the amount of loot that Blackbeard had by the time he died in battle in 1722. And Henry Every, way back in the late 1600s, had managed to escape his life of crime and retire into wealthy obscurity, which Blackbeard obviously had not been able to do. But it's Blackbeard who most captures the imaginations of readers both then and now, and uh, it's Blackbeard who plagued the imaginations of terrified merchants during the golden age of piracy. He was a great sailor. He was a suicidally brave fighter. But I think, more importantly, he was the master of branding. Figuratively or literally? No, literally. <laughs> Not figuratively. Um, I, <laughs> um, the same personal brand that made him a name to fear on everyone's lips in 1718 is this is the image that has made him the most enduring of these pirates uh, of that time well listen he might not have gotten the most loot he might not have been the most successful um but only one of the pirates of the time had their face on fire and it was blackbeard yeah, he was arguably the spookiest and that's honestly the most important thing and I think his story is maybe, if you're going to pick one of these guys to cover, he might have the most useful window into this time and place, the golden age of piracy. Because his story kind of parallels the whole, the whole thing. Yeah, and so much involvement with the government and the different um, ships that he's overtaking, whether it's the French or the Spanish or even the colonial ships. You're kind of, he's like the Forrest Gump of piracy. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> he's always popping up. He was, he's there on the scene in Nassau when Hornigold's forming his little pirate republic. Um, he gets involved with King George's pardon, both taking it and breaking it. Um, and he's ultimately cut down before his time, um, like almost all of the pirates of this uh, generation. And um, that is what happens when you choose a life of violent crime. It's the same with those exciting bank robbers and stagecoach robbers. Yeah, don't do it, kids. Don't become a pirate. I guess, yeah, I guess not. I guess. Yo-ho, yo-ho. A pirate's life is not for me. We can't end it on that, can we? <laughs> I mean, you know. Three AM, the comedy horror podcast that holds weekly gatherings around the campfire. Let me tell you what you're gonna get. You're gonna hear stories about demonic possessions, prison stabbings, skinwalkers. Glitches in the Matrix, Cult Leaders, Missing 411, Night Marchers, Operation Paperclip, Mesopotamian Devil Worship, and so many monsters it'll give Kanye West a runaway for his money. Pop and meme culture also aren't off topic. A camp where laughs and scares are constantly competing for first place. We're just a group of friends trying to bust each other's balls, find the best stories, and expand the circle in the process. 3AM, the comedy horror podcast not for the faint or fragile of heart. Let's go. Once again, it's Poe's Cryptid Corner. That sweet little guy. <laughs> this weekend, one particular post was floating around Connecticut Facebook, reposted by several of our friends and family, and including five photos of what was purported to be an elusive East Coast Bigfoot. Yeah, it's, it's something. 
<laughs> the post reads, update, the Waterbury, <laughs> the Waterbury Police Department just validated the photos and the Finding Bigfoot team has been deployed to Bucks Hill Park. I will update as information comes in. And Connecticut man is happy to be safe at home after a scary incident near Bucks Hill Park. John Doe spotted a Bigfoot in the woods on the water's edge and took these amazing photographs of the beast. Oh, John Doe did? Mm-hmm. Quote, at first I thought it was a grizzly bear, but once I got a better look at it, I realized it was definitely a Sasquatch. It definitely, he's, <laughs> he's a Sasquatch expert, of course. Mr. Doe. The Waterbury Police Department is currently examining these photographs, but they are expected to verify their authenticity soon. That's my favorite part. Mm -hmm. This is a developing story. More to come. So, of course, I had to look into it since cryptid posts don't often come across my Facebook feed from my non-spooky sources. And unfortunately, much like the reports of the Annabelle doll escaping the Warrens Museum back during quarantine, it seems this was just a fun bit of BS as well. I love so many just nope. So many of the comments. <laughs> yeah. Just the word nope, period. Mm -hmm. uh, somebody wrote, looks like Bigfoot is wearing blue jeans. <laughs> That's like a Bailey school kids. The Bigfoot doesn't wear blue jeans. Yes. And then this is a curious comment that I saw. I'd have to say this is photoshopped. Look how the supposed Bigfoot stands out and everything else is faded out more. It's like, I don't think this is photoshopped. <laughs> I think it's just a man <laughs> no, in a dumb costume. his hair is just black, whatever it is. Now, following the leads of comments on different versions of the post saying that the photos have been circulating social media for years, attributed to uh, different states and photographers, I did a image search. And in that search, I found many sources that used these same photos with similar stories saying that they had caught these images of a Bigfoot in places like Washington, Alabama, and Ohio. Really? Mm-hmm. Caroline! What? Great, great job! I mean, it wasn't much of a stretch. <laughs> in fact, the report was so dubious that the moderators of the subreddit r slash Bigfoot had it removed from the forum after being posted two days ago. On the Bigfoot subreddit. This was so dubious for them, they said, not a mooch. It appears the pictures themselves are traceable back to 2013, according to BigfootFieldGuide.com, which posted an article on the hoax back in July of last year taking place in a different area of the country this time. And um, according to the website, it was claimed that these photos were taken on July 4th at Table Rock Lake in Kimberling City, Missouri, near Branson, and no further information was ever released with it outside of the initial claim back in 2013. Upon close examination, this is someone in an ape costume. You can tell because of how the fake fur hangs off the body and legs. So it's a hoax, plain and simple. My favorite two comments are right here. One guy said, at least it's eating well. <laughs> and a guy replied to that and said, fat guy in suit doesn't have balance. <laughs> I mean, you know. Stop fat shaming this Sasquatch. Exactly. That, is that a shirt? Stop fat shaming Sasquatch. I'm going to make it. I'm going to make it tonight. <laughs> Check out our tea public. So, yeah, I'm sorry, y'all. I know that you were surprisingly excited about the possibility of a nutmegger squash. Squatch. A nutmegger squatch. If you're still hoping to hear weird stories about Waterbury, Connecticut in particular, 
head on over to our Patreon and sign up at Tier 2 or higher to listen to our special mini-sode on Holy Land USA. Oh, great idea. Creepy. Creepy. Mm-hmm. Creepy story. I didn't expect that one to end in murder. Mm-hmm. Uh, but otherwise, it seems that this Sasquatch, at least, is a big ol' hoax. Just a big pile of squatch, huh? Just squatching around. Squatch. <laughs> <laughs> I tried. <laughs> That's it for this episode of Ain't It Scary with Sean and Carrie. Like us on Facebook and follow us on Twitter and Instagram at Ain't It Scary and check out our website at ain'titscary.com. You can support the show by supporting our sponsors and becoming a patron at www.patreon.com slash ain'titscary. And please subscribe to the show and throw us a five-star review on Apple Podcasts and also now on Spotify. We'll be forever grateful. And come over and join us on Patreon. We have a lot of fun stuff for you over there. Special thanks to our beloved top-tier patrons who support us every month. Nate Curtis, Sean O'Donnell, Jared Chamberlain, Maria Ferrante, Robin McCabe, Comfy Mike, Alex Nakutis, Ryan Regan, and Christy Atchison. Thank you, guys. We love you. See you next Thursday. Show created by Sean and Carrie McCabe. Music by Kyle Ryan. And you can find Kyle at his YouTube channel, Music is a Verb. Ain't It Scary has been brought to you by Killer Podcasts and is a production of Longboy Media. My name is Bill Huffman, and I am a former Cleveland News producer, and I am now the host of the podcast, Who Killed? I began the show focusing on the unsolved murder of Amy Maholovic, and now each week I explore a different case with a focus on some of the victims who don't get the attention they deserve. I have a deep catalog of over 225 episodes, so there is a guarantee there will be something for you. Who Killed is an Evergreen Podcasts, Killer Podcasts, and Slow Burn Media production. Subscribe today wherever you get your favorite shows.